All right. Good morning once again, everybody. We are so glad that you're here. Nothing is worrying me. If only every single one of us could have walked in those doors this morning and declared, nothing, nothing is worrying me. Uh, that would be amazing, but I have a feeling that that is not the case. That if only we had that relaxed, non-stressed approach to life, kind of an interesting juxtaposition there with everything and all the chaos in our lives and all the busyness and the tiredness and the stress and then this nice, calm, little relaxing tune, right? If only life were like that. I don't know, I'm guessing that some of you can relate to the stress in that video. Life can simply leave you exhausted. It can simply leave you overwhelmed. And wherever you're at this morning, and I think the one thing we all have in common, we, we came from a lot of different backgrounds and, and stories and, and where we live and, and church experiences and all of that. Speaking of coming from near and far and where you live, you may have come from far today, but you didn't come from Denmark. We've got some more of the Denmark crew here today, so welcome them. They're back here. Absolutely. If you fly across the ocean to get here, you should probably get a shout out for coming to Des Moines. So we're, we're glad you guys are here. Thanks for being here. Wherever you came from, here's the thing. What we all have in common, every single one of us has experienced stress. Every single one of us has experienced tiredness. Every, one, every single one of us has experienced the feeling of being overwhelmed and exhausted. If you think I'm joking, so, sociologists did a study a while back. I'm not sure exactly when it was, five or ten years ago. And I think it still applies today. They did a study, and they interviewed thousands of people, and they asked, if you had one more hour in your day, one more hour in your day, 25 hours in the day, what would you do with it? Okay? You could do anything that you want. Okay? And there was an answer that got 98% of the vote. The same answer. Can you guess what it is? Sleep, right? How many of you would that would be your answer? Sleep, right? Absolutely. Now, some of you are like, eh, I, I don't know about that. But think about that. You could do anything. You could climb a mountain or dream great dreams or do anything. Sleep. I want to take a nap. Now, some of you that are, you know, that are kind of go-getters and type A, you know, perfectionist-driven folks, like, uh-uh, I could get one more thing done in the office, right? I could finally finish that project that I haven't been able to, to get done. I could finally get that house project done. Whatever it is, I could be a little bit more productive. And we think because we're so busy, it's hard to get off that treadmill. I should probably fill that one extra hour with more stuff because we're overwhelmed and we're busy. And if you're anything like me, you've heard yourself say or think there's not enough time to get it all done. And just so you know, I'm preaching to myself today. Some of you wonder, how, how do you choose your topics of what to preach about, John? Basically, whatever my issues are. That's what I preach about to myself. And, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So this is definitely one of those days. I can't remember the last time that I went up to somebody in casual conversation before or after worship or uh, just over coffee or lunch sometime, and I asked, how are you doing? And they, their, their very first reaction was, totally refreshed. I am so rested. I get 10 hours of sleep a night. I sleep like a baby. I sleep great. Everything is great. I don't have any, any stress in my life. I am totally refreshed. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? Like, never, right? Usually it's the exact opposite. In fact, when I talk to people and I ask how they're doing, chances are it's one of two responses. Number one, I'm tired, exhausted, I'm busy, I'm stressed. Or... How do I grow in my relationship with God? And beyond ironic, I think the two are very, very related. And we want those things and we desire those things, but busyness and tiredness and being overwhelmed, as we saw in that clip, have not only become normal, they've almost become expected. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's worked its way into our vocabulary. Have you ever noticed that? You go up to somebody, it's in the way that we greet each other. Hey, how's it going? You doing well? Oh yeah, good. Keeping... Busy? Do you see how that just rolls off your tongue? Oh, how's it going? Keeping busy. Imagine that you said that to somebody before worship today. Oh, hey, I'm John. How's it going? Yeah, everything's good. Yeah, keeping busy. And what if they looked at you and said, no. <laughs> Some of you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Like that would be a, a, a keen, awkward moment, right? Because there's a little part of you in your angstiness, in your stress, in your hyperactivity that would say, what is wrong with you? right? You are lazy. 
If we're honest, that would be our response. That's how much it has its hooks in us. And so people have these two responses. I'm tired, overwhelmed, stressed, busy, and at the same time, I want to grow in my relationship with God, or I feel far away from God, or it could be so much more. The two are intricately related. Christian author Morton Kelsey says this. I'll put this quote up on the screen. Every time I see this, it's pretty startling. He says, the most potentially destructive issue of spiritual growth is not alcohol, not immorality, nor is it drugs. It's people who are perpetually busy. There is nothing that destroys people's spiritual life like that. And some of you are like, whoa, hang on, Pastor John, right? My busyness and my schedule and all of that, that's, that's my world. You can talk about spiritual things, right? But stay out of my lane, okay? Uh-oh, the two lanes just collided. Because for a lot of us, the pace at which we live our lives is actually counterproductive to the things that we read about and sing about and pray about will change in our lives. Some of you aren't getting that, so I need to give you this visual. You are running on a treadmill, pounding a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> Try to get that image out of your head, okay? <laughs> Counterproductive to each other. And so as we begin a new school year, and a lot of uh, kids or your grandkids or a lot of you went back to school this last week, it's kind of the beginning of fall, it's a kickoff of a new season, and it seems like all around us the mantra is do more, be better, get organized, get your fall calendar, get the kids shuttled around to all their activities, all of that. I had an entire message planned for this weekend, and I scrapped the entire thing. And I said, you know what? I'm just feeling a little rebellious this weekend, right? We are a Lutheran church, and Martin Luther was a rebel, so I'm just playing into our Lutheran heritage here this morning, feeling a little rebellious. And I said, the week that we go back to school, and everybody's tired and stressed, and, and fill your calendar and do more and figure it out, I'm going to be rebellious, and I'm going to preach about rest. Everybody say rest. Everybody take a collective, whether you're upstairs or back there or in here, everybody take a collective deep breath and go, <sighs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the lights down. We're going to play some quiet music. We're going to bring out some pillows and blankets. <laughs> what if we did that some week? Anybody? Can I get an amen from the congregation? Okay. What did you do at church this morning? Group nap. It was amazing, right? Best hour at church I've ever had. It was holy. It was set apart. The angels sang. It was amazing. No, we're not going to do that. Normally, I try to not make you fall asleep. Here's why we're not going to do that. Because God has something very, very, very important to say to us today. And so we're going to turn to his word. And here's the reality. Because a lot of you are exhausted. And a lot of you are overwhelmed. And you feel trapped. And honestly, that treadmill... You don't know how to get off of it, and you feel stuck, and you're thirsty. You're thirsty for a new schedule. You're thirsty for renewed priorities. You're thirsty for more rest. You're thirsty because your relationship with God feels dry and parched and empty, and you are thirsty for more. Well, I've got really, really good news for you this morning. Good news, the good news is that help is available, hope is available, refreshment is available, and it's coming from the most unlikely source, from the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55, and let's figure out what God has to say about our condition. Isaiah chapter 55 is in the Old Testament. If you are new today, if you can't remember the last time you cracked open a Bible, we are so glad that you are here. If you're new to that, there's the Old Testament is in the beginning of the Bible. The New Testament tells the story of Jesus and the church in the back half of your Bible. We're going to be about the front fourth, front third of your Bible in Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. We've been in this series uh, called Tomorrowland the last few weeks. And we're digging into it now, and we're all the way up to chapter 55. And at this time, God is speaking through Isaiah to his people, the southern kingdom. God's people are split into the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. And the southern kingdom, Judah, has been taken away from their homeland, and they are in exile in Babylon. Okay? So can you imagine? This is for multiple generations now. And so God's people are far away from home, and most likely, get this, they are tired, they are empty, they are worn out, they are overwhelmed, 
and they're exhausted. Anything but refreshed. Much like us, maybe. And right in the middle of their circumstances, God says through the prophet Isaiah this, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Read that one more time and tell me if that makes sense. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Wait a minute. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Some of you are like, eat and drink for free? Where's that at? Sign me up for that, right? What's going on there? Did you catch the incredible promise? Refreshment is available, and it's free. Free meaning whoever you are this morning, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, if you can hear my voice, it's free, meaning you don't have to deserve it, meaning you're not here today because you're good enough. And some of you maybe can't remember the last time that you've been in a church, and we are so glad that you are here. God's love for you is free, meaning you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't prove something for it, it's free. And where is it found? It's found in the waters, which is this analogy that's used all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus picks up on it in the New Testament in a little bit, that the waters are the life-giving love of Jesus Christ, to be washed clean. Think about it, the waters that Noah and his family rescued, Noah and his family, Moses and the Israelites through the Red Sea, and then, of course, baptism, which we're going to do later this afternoon. God has always used water as a say, way to say, I'm going to take you from where you are, from slavery, even if it's, well, even if you're a slave to your schedule. From slavery to freedom. From old life to new life. So what does that mean for us? We know that Isaiah, as well as the, all the other prophets, are preaching and, and teaching about the coming Messiah, and that's Jesus. And so Jesus picks up on this in John chapter 7. You don't have to go there. Let's look at it up on the screen. Jesus is at a festival, and he stands up, and he declares this. Let's read it nice and loud together. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You do know Jesus is just making this stuff up, right? Jesus is the word made flesh. And because of that, Jesus knows his Bible. Inside and out. Jesus knows Isaiah 55, and he's picking up on this living water theme. And he's saying, for those thousands of years when Isaiah and all the prophets were saying, come to the water, come to the water, come to the water, come to the water, Jesus is saying, it's me. He's making it so clear. It's me. Jesus says, are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for more than just surviving? Doesn't that get old after a while? Oh, we made it through another week. And with all due respect, Jesus says, that's not the point. The point is not for you just to survive and make it through another week. The point is, Jesus says, for living waters to flow from you, that when other people around you, that they would experience refreshment because the love and the new life of Jesus Christ has filled you up so much, it's overflowing in your life. Are you the type of person that when other people are around you, that they leave feeling filled up or emptied or drained? It starts with you because you can't give away what you don't have. Are you thirsty for a new pace to life? Are you thirsty to actually experience God instead of just going through the motions? You're not going to find it ever, anywhere else except coming to the waters, coming to Jesus daily. Not once in a while, but daily. And here's the cool thing about Isaiah 55. Not only does Isaiah tell us where this refreshment can be found, but he's saying it's a waste of your time. It's futile to look for it anywhere else. Look at verse 2. The rest of verse 2 there. It says, why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? In other words, if you're looking to get filled up today, if you're looking for refreshment, it's not going to come by all the places that you normally run to, okay? Think about it like this. Some of you are asking, John, are you like really thirsty today or what, right? So we've got our, our, our props up here today. Imagine that you and I and we all together just ran the Des Moines Marathon coming up here in October, okay? I don't know why you would do that. Get this. There's people in this world that actually run for fun. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm a golfer. I run if I'm being chased, okay? I just, I don't, 
I don't, people are weird. Some of you are those people. God bless you, and you're in better shape than I am. That's great. But imagine with me, hypothetically, that we all just ran a marathon, and you are exhausted. You are tanked. You are parched. You are so thirsty, as we've talked about today. And I'm giving you two options, a big old bottle of Mountain Dew or spring water. Which one are you choosing? Water. How about the loft? What one are you guys choosing? Oh, they're indecided so far. Okay. They're going to go with water. All right. Now, why wouldn't you choose the Mountain Dew? Anybody? Come on. It feels so good. Dehydrated. It doesn't satisfy, right? If we know anything about soda and we know anything about coffee, darn it. And if we know anything about alcohol for that matter, right? Among many other things, it meets the immediate need and it gives you the false impression that it is going to hydrate you and fill you up and quench your thirst. And then about two or three hours later, what sugar and caffeine do to you is they actually make you more thirsty and you're back to where you started. And you're not just as thirsty, you might actually be more thirsty than you were at the beginning. Some of you are like, John, kind of silly analogy, like I get it, we all chose the water. Here's the thing, in our lives, we don't. In our lives, every single one of us has Mountain Dews. The things that we run to that for a while feel like they're numbing the pain, feel like they're meeting the need. Oh, and it tastes so good. And some of them feel innocent. Some of them are not. For some of you, and we talked about this a few weeks, uh, several months ago, we talked about the power of addictions. For some of you, if you're honest, it's another kind of bottle that you run to. When you're tired, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're stressed, when you're overwhelmed, if I could just have that drink. And it started off as recreational, but you know it's not recreational anymore because you can't feel okay without it. And that's your Mountain Dew. But for others of you, it's, it's more innocent things. It's, 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 it's good things in that way. For some of you, it's like, I'm just, it's, it's going to be that hobby that I spend hours on. It's my job that I run to over and over again because I can't feel good unless I'm on the treadmill. And I don't know who I am if I get off the treadmill. For some of you, it's just simple things like binging on Netflix or getting sucked into your phone or the promise of that next prospective relationship. If I could just get out of the relationship or the marriage that I'm in, then that would quench my thirst because I'm sure that perfect person is out there that's going to meet all my needs and quench my thirst. And we go to all of these things, but they'll never be able to satisfy because it's one thing. It's one thing to veg. It's one thing to numb the pain, and it's an entirely another thing to actually be refreshed. Others will say, no, 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 John. See, the thing is with people that are busy, like, I'm not busy. I'm really, really good, and I'm really organized. What people need is to rearrange their schedule, and they need to be a little bit more productive, and they need to get one of those calendars, and you can sync it with your phone, or try this tip, or this device, or this strategy. This always comes to mind. I majored in electronic communications in college, and my professor was fond of saying this. In my mass media class, he said this. Every technological innovation get this, has a salvation despair cycle, okay, where we think it's going to meet our needs, and it's the latest and greatest, it's the next thing, and then it didn't, and so now we are in despair. Interesting language there, a salvation despair cycle. In the late 1960s, in 1967, get this, expert testimony was given in front of the U.S. Senate that said, because of all the labor-saving technological advances that were taking place in the late 60s, people were going to have more time than they knew what to do with. Expert testimony. And they predicted that within 20 to 30 years, oh wait, that's already passed, okay? By the 1990s, or by the, by the year 2000, the average American would work an average of 30 hours a week or 30 weeks a year because there just wouldn't be enough to do. Technology would have saved us in that way. The reality is, with all of the technology and all of the advances, don't you think that if we were smart enough as people to get off the treadmill of life, we would have gotten off by now? But we haven't. And so we've tried everything. So where do we turn for real rest Maybe instead of looking forward for the latest and greatest thing coming up, we look 
back to God's timeless wisdom. And so back to verse 2 from Isaiah 55. God through Isaiah says this. Listen. Listen to me, God says, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. How do we find our way? How do we get real rest? Number one, we listen to God rather than the voices of this world. And number two, we eat what is good. Now, I'm not talking about going and hitting up Cheesecake Factory or somewhere after worship today, okay? I'm talking about eating things, consuming things with your life and your time that are actually going to fill you up, that are going to satisfy you. Intimacy with God, time in prayer, worship weekly, Christian community, putting your roots down in a local church. And some of you are like, John, that seems so old-fashioned. Does anybody actually do those things anymore? And what I would respond with is, how's, how's your attempts working for you? How's everything else working for you? Maybe God has something to say to us this morning. And the question is, who calls the shots when it comes to your schedule? What sort of a lens do you use as a family? Do you, have you ever sat down as a family? What if you sat down as a family even before you put your schedule together for this fall? And the first question you asked is not what should we fill our schedule with, but who has God called us to be as a family? Based on who God's called us to be, what is God calling us to do? Let's let our activity be based on our identity. Because I know who I am, because I'm a child of God, because I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to earn and I don't need to, 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 to do anything to, to earn anybody's approval, how many things on my schedule would just get chopped off tomorrow because I'm simply living out of some false reality or some false identity? Where do you take your cues from what gets priority in your calendar? What is the value system that you use as a family to say yes or no to things? Is it just, I'm just going to look around me and see what everybody else is doing? Because the danger is, without a reliable guide, <laughs> we end up lost. And I could not help but think of this video I saw several weeks ago. Nobody knows this idea of being lost than a couple hundred drivers out in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. Anybody ever been to Denver International Airport before? Anybody ever been out there? It's kind of on the outskirts of town. I used to live in Denver, uh, in Denver area for a couple years. And so you drive out, and it's Pena Boulevard, and you, you can't miss it. It's way on the outskirts of town, and you drive all the way out to the airport with the peaks and everything like that. And so you can kind of see it and you know where you're going. You think it would be impossible to not find it unless your GPS leads you astray. Let's take a look. You need to know where you're going. No true words have ever been spoken, right? This is not a knock on Google Maps. I use it all the time, and maybe you do as well, right? And for the record, we've probably all done something like that, right? Well, I think it says go this way, right? Amazing, right? I, such a vivid picture of where so many of us, I think, are at today. You are driving along the road of life, right? This is, I'm following the directions. It seems like the way to go, right? But then everybody starts, over 200 drivers were in a mud pit in the middle of a field in Colorado because it seemed like the right thing to do. And it seemed like everybody was headed that direction. How many things in your life were you going along and you're like, I think this is the way to go? Well, it seems like everybody's going over there. It seems like this is kind of what the popular thing is today. It seems like what everybody else is doing. How many times in our life do we do that? Well, it seems like, John, are you serious? Nobody worships every weekend anymore. Everybody's, their, their schedules are too, too, too full. Everybody's too busy for that. There's no way that you could do that. It seems like everybody else, you know, if you can make it once or twice a month, that's fine. So I'm just going to kind of go and do what everybody else is doing. No, nobody has weekends that are sacred anymore. We're so busy. And so we just got to go as a family. And that's when practices and that's when games are, and that's when activities are. We got to go. We got to get our kids involved so they can keep up. We got to go. And it seems like everybody else is doing that. So it must be the right direction to go. You know, I was in a small group one time, John, but then I was talking to some friends and well, their schedules just got really busy and it kind of just turned into social time and nobody really has time to get together and study the Bible anymore because there's just not enough time and we're all so busy. So we might as well just give up and quit as well because everybody else seems small groups are so old-fashioned. Does anybody really have time for community anymore? I mean, we don't really do that. It's 2019. I mean, seriously, John, everybody knows, you know, as you're driving along and you kind of look over to the side, all these people, you know, it, 
couples, for instance, like who actually goes on dates after getting married? I mean, that's so old-fashioned, right? Everybody else seems to just kind of be roommates these days, and they just kind of coexist, and it's nobody actually really pursues each other and invests in their, in their marriage with everything going on these days, and all of a sudden, you're in a cornfield. And you're stuck, and you're wondering, how did I get here? You stopped listening. You stopped paying attention to the timeless truth of God's word, and you went with whatever felt right, whatever everybody else was doing, whatever seemed right, whatever direction things were going. Now, hear me say this. Busyness is a complicated topic. And some of you are tired, and you're overwhelmed, and you're busy for a whole host of reasons today, of which I do not know, but he does. And that's why I am convinced and what I want to propose to you today is that busyness is far less of a productivity issue and far more of a heart issue. Busyness is far less of a scheduling issue and far more of a heart issue. Because none of these things I've mentioned, all those Mountain Dews in our lives, none of those things are inherently bad or evil or anything like that. But the question is, when is the last time that you looked in the mirror and asked yourself honestly, why do I do the things that I do? Why am I involved with what I'm involved in? Why am I so busy? Is there anything honestly that I'm trying to prove? Is there anything I'm trying to earn? Is there an image of the perfect family, young family? Is there an image of the perfect empty nesters and what everybody else is doing? Is there an image of the perfect young professional that I am trying to live up to? Is there somebody in my life that I'm trying to please? Enter Isaiah from centuries ago. And God says through Isaiah in verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Your GPS is not my GPS, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I want to challenge you this morning. Would you dare to trust that God's answer to your stress and your weariness is better than anything or anyone else? Would you dare to trust that when it comes to filling your time, the God who created you has more wisdom than anyone else? Remember the old black and white TV show, Father Knows Best? So does yours. So does ours in heaven. He knows Best. And so to the drivers out in the middle of Colorado and nowhere, and to us that are looking for direction today, how ironic is this? I remembered this verse, and then that popped up on a national news site, that story about those cars. Check this out from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Let's read it together. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find what? Rest, rest for eight hours, and then you can hit the grind again. It says rest for your souls. Let's actually get to the root of the problem and stop sticking a Band-Aid on our stress and our and our feeling overwhelmed and our busyness. Let's get to the root of it. And notice that the answer is not going forward to the latest device or trend or technique. It's found in the old path, the timeless wisdom of God's word. In fact, it's so old, it's all the way in the beginning. For just for a couple minutes, I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Way in the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 2 is conveniently located right after Genesis chapter 1. So there you go. In the beginning, it starts, and then Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, all the way back in the first few pages of your Bible, Genesis 2, 2. You remember the story well. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he did what? He rested from his work, and he blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So built into the very fabric of creation is this idea of Sabbath or rest. Now, you've probably heard that passage a thousand times, but have you ever actually stopped and wondered, why did God need to rest? He's God. What is he, exhausted or something? Like, woof, 
those planets took a lot out of me. Man, the animal day was just exhausting. Whew, that was a full 12-hour day. You know, like, I'm just exhausted. I need a nap, right? Why does God need to rest? He's God, right? God is not tired. Instead, God is showing us something about how to live a sustainable rhythm to your life, to where you don't go on vacation and come back and you're like, I'm bombarded by emails, I'm going to get back on the treadmill. What if you had a kind of a life where you didn't have to look towards vacation as an escape, but as icing on the cake from a sustainable life lived in the rest of God? From the way that God created the world, we see this, kind of in a visual sense, and we'll put it up on the screen as well. It's almost like a, those of you music folks, it's like an upside down uh, a metronome, and then there's like a, a pendulum swinging here in the middle, like this, and it swings to the left and it swings to the right. And God creates this rhythm to life where there is rest, where creation starts, and then there is work, which we're going to find out in a little bit. And that pendulum swings back and forth, and there's room for both. You were created to be productive as well, because back in Genesis 1:28, God creates Adam and Eve, and he says, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky. God gives them a job. Your calling in life is to be productive. Your calling in life is to get stuff done. Our calling in life is to do good works, is to be active, is not to sit around and be lazy. God was not being lazy. God was being strategic in how he created the world. So God says, I've created you to work, and I've created you to rest. But there is a rhythm to that, and it starts somewhere. Imagine how confusing it must have been for Adam and Eve. Okay, Adam wakes up. They're created on the sixth day, and he wakes up on the seventh day. God says, Good morning. And Adam says, okay, what do we do now, right? I'm ready. I, I, I'm, I'm here. It's like the San Diego Zoo on steroids. Like, what can I do? I got to get busy. I got to do stuff. What, God, what should we do on our first day on the job? And God says, take the day off. What? So Adam and Eve lay down and they take a nap and they pop back up and, 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 and they wake up and said, okay, now what? I mean, certainly we have to do something for you, God. We got to get busy. And God says, take a nap. It's done. It's all done. I've already accomplished everything for you. It's all done. You rest in what I've already done for you. Don't look now, but I think we just described the cross. Would you believe the rhythm the fabric of creation that God set in place in Genesis chapter 2 is the best theology that describes what Jesus did on the cross? What is your posture towards the Christian life? I got to climb the ladder. I got to do more. I got to be more. I got to be a better Christian. I got to pray more. I got to come to worship more. I got to do all these things for God. And God says, you rest in what I've done. It's already been done for you. We rest in salvation. You trust in who God says you already are. And I want to challenge you this morning. What if we actually lived like that was true? Because I'm guessing none of you are going to argue with that. None of you are going to say, yeah, I can't earn it. I know God did amazing things for me on the cross. What if we actually lived like it? How much less would you compare? How much less would you be scrolling through your feed saying, I'm not like that family. We're not like that couple. I don't have what they have. How much less would we strive? How much less would we feel guilty? How much more would we run to God every day because we believe in the core of our being that he created rest? And so maybe if you want to experience real rest, you go running to Jesus. And God, I'm going to trust your commands above any other voice in this world that is offering me solutions And I'm going to trust that you've created the world in such a way that most of us live like this, actually. We peg the meter over here, and we go, 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 crash. We rest from our work. And God says, that's never the way I created the world. You're always going to be pushing against the grain when you live that way. God says, it starts with rest and what I've done. God is calling you to work out of the abundance of your rest. 
to work out of the abundance of your rest, to live a sustainable rhythm. So I want to give you some really tangible things before we close today. Three key ideas that you can implement this week, this month, as a, as a couple, as an individual, as a family. How do we invite our kids into all of this? Number one, how do we live this rhythm? You can do this weekly, and it's called a Sabbath. Do you know that it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Some of you are like, yeah, thou shalt not murder, probably shouldn't steal, I probably shouldn't lie, shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but take a day off every week? Wink, wink. It's, it's 2019. Who actually takes a day off? Well, God did. And he made you. And he knows how you function best. A day off, a 24-hour period where you stop and you make worship, weekly worship, a priority in your schedule before anything else in your relationships with the people that are around you. And then get this, we model it for our kids and we model it for our grandkids. When we remind our kids and they grow up with the identity that I am not what I do. I am not what I accomplish. And I don't have to do something on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening to earn anything or prove anything. My parents love me and because of that, we're going to slow down and we're going to go to worship and we're going to be loved by God because that's what God calls us to do. We point our kids to Jesus because that's what's best for them and nothing else will do. And so we have a weekly rhythm, but we also have a daily rhythm of work and rest. Probably one of the most destructive phrases in the history of Christianity is, hey, did you have your God time this morning? Code language in Christianese for did you have your devotion time? The danger of that is that we've limited God time to the 10 minutes that you try to squeeze in and have a prayer before your fruit loops and getting your kids to school, when actually the entire day is God time. So what if rest wasn't just sleep? What if rest was a condition of the soul? Okay? And I could actually experience the rest of God in the middle of my workday. In the middle when I'm going into a busy meeting at work or a stressful day at work, I can experience the rest, the shalom, the peace of God right in the middle of an argument with my spouse, right in the middle of the chaos watching my kids, right in the middle of shuttling them around to all their activities. I can actually experience the rest of God. And how do you do that? You stop and you pause and you swing the pendulum back and you say, God, I'm going to pause for one minute and I'm just going to invite you into my day again. I'm going to say that I need you and I know that you are enough for me, and I don't have to posture up or be somebody that I've not because you've already fought that battle for me, and I'm just going to breathe. And on my way to work or my way home from work or before I go and I reconnect with my, my spouse and the kids, I'm just going to pause and invite your Holy Spirit to fill me up so I can live for you. God, you are enough for me, and I'm going to do that all throughout my day so I don't need to prove anything. I'm going to swing that pendulum back and forth all throughout the day. But the third one, the third way that we find a sustainable rhythm is an interesting one. We don't think about this a lot. It's to abide in community. Abide in community. Because here's the way most of us live our life. We peg the meter at work, and we've forgotten that God is a relational being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you were created in relationship for relationship. God is in community with himself. Therefore, if you live your life outside of community, you are pushing against the very way that God created you, and you will never be filled up. And I think the reason that so many of us are exhausted and stressed or tired is because we haven't allowed ourselves to be loved. We haven't allowed ourselves to be known. And top, on top of that, our world has a very confusing mindset when it comes to community. And it's all thanks to that little gadget that a lot of you have in your pocket right now, which I normally do as well. And so I saw this quick little video that we'll end with to show you how focused we can get right here. Take a look. <laughs> okay. In so many ways, I have no place to talk about this. But that's why I'm talking about it, because I don't think that I'm the only one, and I get sucked into. I just want to offer a, not a gentle challenge, a strong challenge to those of you that are overly connected with everybody out there and way underconnected with the people that are sitting next to you right now, your family and your church family. You were created to be known not as you should be, but for who you are right now. 
Who really knows you? And there's power in that. And so when you hear us stand up on this stage and say, we want to encourage you to take the core class this fall. We want to encourage you to take a prayer class. We want to encourage you to get in a life group, men, women, couples, whatever it is. We want to encourage you to get in a life, come to a men's event or a women's event. It's not, come get busy with the church program. It's, this is how you were created. And trying to manage life and deal with stress and, be, and, and feel over, overwhelmed all the time is exhausting and it's lonely. You were never meant to do it alone. And so abide in weekly rest, in daily rest, and abide in a rhythm of community. But of course, we don't stay there. We, we, we don't stay there. We produce fruit. Jesus picks up on this theme of rest and work in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus says this in verse 5. Let's read it together. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody say fruit. fruit. Now say much fruit. Much. Not just a little fruit, but much fruit. Because when we abide in him, we produce fruit. The most natural thing that happens when we slow down and we rest and we abide in Jesus is that we produce fruit. So Jesus picks up on this same thing and he says there's a rhythm between abiding and then producing fruit, kingdom fruit, things like serving and loving and leading and growing, which is why in a little bit you're going to be surrounded by ministry leaders here in our ministry fair. What a day to have a ministry fair. Way to go, John. You do a huge sermon about rest and slowing down, and now you're going to tell us to get involved. What are you thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. The most natural thing to do when you're plugged into the vine is produce fruit. The Christian that is hanging out with Jesus does not need to be convinced to produce fruit for Jesus. It just happens. It's a get-to not a got to. You don't even think about it because it's who you are. And that's why we're doing this today. So I want to invite up uh, our leaders, wherever you are, to go to your posts. And you may see these signs around the outside. We don't do this, obviously, uh, all the time. But why in the world would we do a ministry fair on a day that we're talking about rest? And it's because of this. God wants your heart way more than he wants your busyness. No, I don't think you got it. Let me say that again. God wants your heart way more than he wants your busyness. And the reality is, some of you today should not go to the ministry fair. You should slow down. You should go home and look your spouse in the eyes and spend time together. You should go home and take your kids to the park and put your phone down and be together. You should go home and get out your Bible and talk to God as if he's right there next to you because he is. Some of you need to go home and chop some things off your calendars for the sake of your soul. Some of you need to slow down, but you know what? Some of you need to pick it up. Honestly. Some of you need to swing that pendulum back and remember that you can't just stay connected and abide and abide and abide and abide. You're called to produce fruit. That's what we do. Just as it is unhealthy to stay here and peg the meter here forever, it is unhealthy and you are not created to peg the meter over here forever. God has made some of you leaders. God has given you gifts and abilities. And some of you today, the Holy Spirit is giving you that little nudge like a hand in the small of your back saying, now's the time. Now's the time. Some of you are like, I'm waiting for a sign from God. There's 19 of them around you today. 19 signs from God saying, it's time. It's go time. It's time to stop consuming religion and it's time to start activating your faith. It's time to start bearing fruit for the kingdom. Why do we do this? There's two main reasons we do a ministry fair. Number one, because one of the greatest myths at Lutheran Church of Hope and any mega church, I think, is this. You walk into a church where it's full like this. You walk into a church and you go, oh, my word, it's Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm sure they don't need any, any help. I'm sure that they've got everything covered. Nothing can be further from the truth. Some days we're just a train wreck around here, and we need Jesus and coffee in that order, okay? 
We can't be the church without you. The reason these ministries exist, most, if not most of these people standing around you today are volunteers. They're men and women like you that have accepted that call, that have spent time with Jesus and said, I can't help but overflow. I can't help but bear fruit because it's how God's created me. We need your help. We can't do it without you. Every single one of these ministries. The second reason we're doing this today is to help you put your faith into action, to experience what it means to be the church. So for some of you, it's time to slow down, and for some of you, it's time to get going, to activate your faith. And so in the past, what I've done is I've ran off a bunch of slides of all the different ways that you can get connected in the, in the, the next couple months or in the next few weeks here, to be honest. All these things are kicking off in the next few weeks. I'm not going to go super fast today because, well, I just preached about slowing down. I'm just going to tell you what they are. And I'm going to say these are some opportunities that God is nudging you with today and inviting you into to help expand his kingdom here in Des Moines, to activate your faith, to start serving, to get involved in community. So let's go through them. You guys ready in the back? Let's go. We'll start with prayer. These are just a few of the opportunities. Prayer ministry is right over there on the wall. You can go talk to them. Afterwards, let prayer change your life starts here in a few weeks. We have prayer partners that we can train you to pray for people. What an amazing opportunity before and after worship as well. You can go talk to prayer. Next one is creative arts team. Artists, painters, designers, sculptors, writers, authors, any of that. We have a creative arts team that helps make our, our sets and design things and paint things and all of that. Creative arts is right over there. You can go talk to Sarah. They do all sorts of things and get together and build that community with artists. The next one is life groups. Join a life group. We've already talked about that. Men's, women's, couples on weekends, throughout the week, here on Sunday morning. Whatever it takes, you can head right back there and talk to Kyle about life groups. Let's go to the next one. Women's small talks. Women's ministry does a whole uh, a slew of things around here. Uh, they're doing a series of small talks with these TED Talk style events where you can connect with other women and hear about topics that I'm sure will impact you as well. And women's ministry is right over there. There we go, right back there in the corner, women's ministry. The next one is the core class that you've heard us talk about. So many people have said, this is how I got started at Hope Des Moines. This is how I met some people. This is how I got in a small group. There's food, there's childcare, there's worship, there's teaching, there's small groups. It starts in a couple weeks on September 15th would encourage you to do that as well. The next one is hospitality, to join a team. It's all these crazy people running around in blue shirts, making sure that you have a seat, that you're welcome, that you have a bulletin, that you have coffee, uh, communion servers up here, greeters, uh, ushers, uh, parking attendants out, at, out in the, the parking lot. All of those, gosh, we could use your help with that as well, the hospitality team. The next one is the worship team. You see them up here and you're like, oh, I could never do that. Everybody up here except Jed is a volunteer and we pay Jed and Skittles and candy and things like that. Everybody else up here is a volunteer. There are people like you that have the gift of being an instrumentalist or a vocalist or whatever it is. We would encourage you to do that as well. Same is true with the production team in the back. Some of you are like, technology, I'm scared. If you love Jesus, if you have a pulse and have one finger, we can use you, okay? We can train you. Go talk to Eric in the back. Uh, it would be great. Children and student ministry is the next one. Uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning, uh, Hope Kids volunteers and then Power Life and Ignition right back there. Children's ministry, student ministry. You can talk to Candace. You can talk to Ryan, our leaders back there about getting connected in that way. We love kids and we love students. You do not have to be an expert. You love kids to do that. Children and student ministry. The next one in a very similar way is nursery. We have so many young families and gosh, we love babies. We love noises on cue, just like that. You could help out in the nursery. They were not planted there for that reason. Uh, nursery volunteers is taking place. So many of you parents have benefited from that, you can pass along the love and the favor there. The next one is one of our relatively new teams. It's the food service team. And you're like, I can't cook. I don't, that's okay. Cooks, bakers, food servers, dishwashers, events set up and take down all of those things. We do all sorts of food throughout the year because we love food and we're Lutherans. And that's what we do. And we'd love to invite you uh, to be a part of that team as well. The next one you may not know of is an assisted living outreach team. So we go to an assisted living facility and we reach out to some of our senior citizens and we do Bible study and we do care and prayer, do a little worship service with them a couple times a month. If that's your thing, we would love to get you connected with that as well. Assisted living is right over there uh, as well. The next one is our Wiz Kids uh, ministry that we do every single Thursday night, and they've got a couple trainings that are coming up on the 29th and the 5th. That's this Thursday and the next Thursday. We reach out to kids right here in our neighborhood that are coming from really difficult family and financial situations, and we love them, and we feed them, and we bless them. An awesome opportunity for your small group to donate a meal as well or to be a mentor and to help these kids with literacy. It's an awesome awesome opportunity. The next one is our Revive Ministry for young adults right over here along the wall for our 20s and 30-somethings, or even if you're just young at heart, every single Tuesday
Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. There's a worship service here for young adults, and they have small groups and all sorts of ways to get involved as well. The next one is our Breakfast Club ministry that you heard about already this Wednesday night. Bus drivers, all sorts of volunteer opportunities with that. Breakfast Club is right over there as well. Our men's ministry has their first guys' night uh, of the year on September 5th. We're going to be talking about integrating our faith and our workplace, and we do those the first Thursday of every month. There's all sorts of ways to get involved with guys. They're over there as well. The next one is our facility and grounds team. If you're a handyman, a handywoman, if you like planting flowers or landscaping or cleaning and you just love cleaning your house and you want to come clean God's house, we can put you to work. We'd love to have you help uh, with that inside and outside. There's all sorts of opportunities. You can come talk to Bill uh, over here about that. And last but not least is our care team because none of anything that we do matters if we don't love people well and care for people in the hospital that are shut-ins in their homes to meet with people for one-on-care and counseling to be a listening ear. And some of you, God's given you that gift as well. And folks, we're just getting started. Praise God for what he's doing here at Hope Des Moines. Amen. So here's my challenge to you as you see all of these leaders. Take one step. Take one step to learn more. And some of you are connected, and praise God, you are an incredibly generous church with your time and with your serving. But I want to challenge you, even if you're not interested in all, I want to encourage you, before you leave today and dash out of here, go up to three of these leaders, three or four of these leaders, shake their hand, look them in the eye, and say thank you. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And I don't mean this flippantly or lightly. They are my heroes. They are awesome. And because of them, we're able to do what we do. So thank them. Slow down and meet somebody and say thank you for doing what you do. And maybe they'll give you some candy and get you to sign up. It'll be great. But slow down, abide so that we can produce that fruit. God is calling you to be the church. And so I forgot to do this last night, but I think we should do it today. Because these folks standing around the outside are the unsung heroes of our church. And all of you that volunteer on a regular basis, I like to end standing up. So could you stand up with me and give our leaders a round of applause for doing what they do? (laughs) Praise God. We love you guys. Love all of you. Now that you've come to church... Go be the church. Go talk to some people. We'll see you next week. God bless you.